Welcome to the Human Reboot with me, Emma Last. We have uplifting, inspiring and diverse reboot stories from people sharing the courageous, honest, authentic and sometimes difficult life lessons. The Human Reboot will provide proven mentally flourishing formulas and practical tips to help you to live life to the full, giving you direction and hope. Make your mental fitness and well-being a daily priority. Learn to pause so that you can get clear and perform at your best. Switch off to switch on. It's time for your human reboot. Before we start this episode, it may contain conversations that may be triggering for some listeners. If you feel that might apply to you, you can check the show notes for more details. And today's guest is Marcus Wright. After growing up in a broken home, bullied in high school for being different, pushing him into deep depression and attempted suicide, Marcus managed to turn his life around and break the cycle. I'm so glad he's here to tell his story today. Since then, Marcus has volunteered within his community to make it a safer place for all. He's focusing on educating people on the struggles of others, minorities, and how we can all do more when it comes to looking after the mental health of others. Welcome, Marcus. Hello. Oh, so glad to have you here. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Tell us a little bit more about your mission. Yeah, so my mission is to open people's eyes to other people's struggles. We kind of get lost in our own bubble, in our own little world, and we forget to see things from other people's perspectives. And the saying goes, you know, you you can't say something until you walk a mile in their shoes. And that's what my mission is, is to help people see things from other people's perspectives and to help people realise that the world is a lot bigger than their own little bubble. You know, when we've talked, you've told me so much about your life story. And, you know, I can't wait for you to share that with our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, please, would you be able to just share with us your reboot story? Of course. So way back in high school, that's where I was kind of set on this path, if you will. So in high school, I had no idea who I was or who I was going to grow up to be specifically around my sexuality as well. Now, the problem with that is that lots of other people knew, lots of other people in high school knew before, way before I knew. And it was the same with my family life as well. Family members knew more about me than I did. And because of the feelings I had of struggling with coming to terms with my own sexuality, It was harder for me to accept it. And the worst thing that happened was during school, I was severely bullied. I say bullied and I hate using the word bully because I feel like the term bullied has grown quite soft nowadays because it's a term that's used, just thrown around left, right and centre. What I actually compare it to is mentally and physically tortured through high school. And it was the same through family life as well. I could never escape it. So where nowadays kids can't escape it because of social media, et cetera, that would have been the the tip of the iceberg for me. That would have been, that would just push me off. I could not escape it in a different way because I would go to school and I would be physically and mentally tortured there. And then I would come home and the same thing would occur. I would be physically and mentally tortured by people of my own family. And that was the hardest thing to have to deal with. That's what started the the cycle of depression. That's what kept pushing me further and further down into a point where I attempted suicide on more than one occasion growing up. That was through teenage years and beyond. It was hard. It was very, very hard. And one of the people who stood by me was my closest friend, and we are still friends now. And she'd said to me one day, she took me to her mum's dance school and we got together on the dance floor and she said, take it out on the dance floor. What you're feeling now, take it out on the dance floor. And thus my passion of dance was was born. I found a passion for it. I absolutely loved it. It was amazing. 
And it was a feeling that I could never, it's hard. It's really hard to put into words that type of feeling where you are really feeling the lowest of the lows. You're going through all of these different emotions and to be able to just take it out in a very constructive way like dance, it was just on another level. With regards to the bullying, it continued throughout school. Dance was obviously my outlet of it. And as I grew and as I left school, I felt the need to go to a different college. So all of the people who used to bully me were going to one college and this particular college was something that I, it was a place that I really wanted to go to, but I didn't want to go there because they were attending. So I went to a different college. So even at that point, the bullying had affected me, even though I'd left school, it still affected me. I was shown the door from home at a very young age. So at 15 years old, I was shown the door. So I had to leave home. I moved in with my grandma for a little while and then moved back to Preston, where I'm currently am now, in my own little place. Now, being 17 years old in this little flat, studying at college, having gone through all of this, losing my family, losing my friends, losing respect for myself as well. Let's, you know, I'll be completely honest. I lost complete respect for myself because I just hated the person that I was. I hate, I could not see any end for this. It was just a continuation of this deep, dark path. And so the cycle started again with suicidal thoughts and attempts again. And whilst I was at college, I was speaking to a counsellor and she was the only person that would actually listen to me and listen to my story, listen to the things I had to say. And so she took me to the doctors. Um, she sat down right next to me and we spoke about my feelings to the doctor and they put me on some medication. And at that point, I knew that I needed to change. I needed something to kind of focus on to not keep going down this path and to use everything that had happened to me, use that as my strength and use it to help other people. And it took a few extra years, but I managed to come to terms with my own sexuality. I managed to come to terms with who I was and I managed to use these feelings of hurt, of neglect, of depression. And I managed to change all of those emotions into something that I could use to make me strong. And I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to train to be a teacher because one of the main things that I lacked when I was in school was the guidance of teachers. And because of all the bullying, I felt as though I couldn't trust the teachers. I wanted to be a teacher to maybe help somebody who is going through something that I went through back in school. And to do that, I needed to get experience of working with kids. And so a theatre company was around at the time, a children's theatre company called, um, called Kids for Kids. And I asked if I could volunteer there to get some experience. And 20 shows later, I am still there volunteering every single week because I suddenly realised that I didn't need to be the centre of attention. I didn't need to think about myself anymore because there was these kids that were growing up that needed help and needed guidance and needed a role model. And finally, I could give them the spotlight. I could build them up and I could help them with their lives. And so I had this new mission and it just fueled me. It was something that was just really, it, it really did fuel me. There was a fire lit in my heart and it was like, you can go out now and you can change other people's lives. And that's what I tried to do specifically around the LGBTQ plus community because of the things that I went through. I started holding events for parents of LGBTQ plus children. It could have been very, very easy for me to turn around and say, right, okay, well, my family thought this. And so therefore I'm going to think like this and I'm not going to like them and I'm not going to do this and whatever. But I didn't, I thought to myself, if they had been educated on certain issues around the LGBTQ plus community, or if they had been educated on how to handle certain things, then maybe their thoughts may have changed. Now, I'm a firm believer in that. I'm a firm believer that all it takes is a little education. 
yeah, I massively agree with you on that. Yeah. Really do. It's just, you know, sometimes it's just that ability. First first step is people being willing to listen. Yes. And, you know, and and then when we can share information, education, whatever the topic, you know, it's then for people to digest and reflect on that. Yes, it may be that, you know, they, they don't choose the way that we want them to accept that information. But being open to learning is definitely a, a, a massive step forward. Definitely. You know, with, with anything. Yeah, 100%. Education, in my eyes, is key. And that is what's going to keep the world turning, if you will, and helping people to see things from other people's perspective. And as I say, that's where my mission started. I reset my life, if you will. I looked back on my life at the path that I'd gone. And I'd realized that if I continued down this route, I'm not helping anybody. And the people that dragged me down and kept me down all of those years would win. And the fire that was in me to prove them wrong and to be something and to give something back and to make them see that your words made me stronger, but has actually made me the person that I can help so many more people. That's what the fire was. That's what kept me going. And so I wanted to educate. I wanted to help people. I wanted to get people to see things from other people's perspectives. And so I started the LGBTQ plus events. I started my own little show where I would speak to people from LGBTQ plus uh, histories, uh, talking about people uh, who identify as lesbian or transgender or gay working within sports. I spoke to people who within the gay community had very huge body confidence issues. We're talking about the mental health within LGBTQ plus communities. I was sharing statistics around about LGBTQ plus in workplaces. And it's all because of my passion to help people and to help people see things from a, from a new perspective and to open their eyes just a little bit more. And I'm, I'm not saying, and I've never said that we should all be able to hold hands together. But one of the main things that I'm trying to do is just to help people become an ally. And that's the main thing. We have to be allies. We have to be educated enough to be an ally. And when we see things from a negative point, we need to be able to stand up. We need to rise up and we need to wise up against that. And that's where we are today. And you got an award, didn't you, last year? Yeah. So last year, because of my work within uh, LGBTQ plus communities and around mental health, around the pandemic, I was nominated by a few people. Uh, who I've helped along the way for being the pride of Preston, which is phenomenal. It's a, a, a brilliant award. It was, there was one trophy that got given out and it was me and I won it. And it was, it was so, so cool. And they invited me down to uh, Christmas light switch on and I switched on the Christmas lights in 2020. It was brilliant. And from there, I have actually been nominated again for Role Model of the Year 2021 at the National Diversity Awards, which is being held in February 2022. And I will find out if I've actually been shortlisted in September. But that's for all of the work that I've done with regards to the LGBTQ plus community showing you know, a, a welcome approach to diversity and helping people within the community. So, for example, I've being able to help parents come to terms with their own children's sexuality, but then also helping those kids or teenagers, sorry, to come to terms with their own sexuality. Parents have approached me and said, my son or my daughter has seen you do your shows and have seen how comfortable you are with your own sexuality and seen how happy you are and seen your confidence levels and it made them get the confidence to come up to me and, and come out to me. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for that. And to hear that, to hear that I've been an influence like that on somebody else's life is breathtaking because that's what I needed when I grew up, when I was growing up. I needed somebody to be my role model. I needed somebody to be 
that influence where I could look up and go, do you know what? I want to be like them or I have seen that the confidence and I want to be like that. And yeah, so I've been nominated for the Role Model of the Year 2021 for the National Diversity Awards. So if anyone wants to see who else has been nominated or to actually give you a vote, because I think they can, um, where do they go to do that? They literally just go onto the website. It's nationaldiversityawards.co.uk. And what they can do is that they can see everybody that's been voted for uh, in all the different categories, because it's not just a positive role model of the year. There's different awards and different categories as well. So they can have a look for people within their local community. They can have a look for people around the country, around the whole of the UK, and they can see the profiles of each individual and which category they have been nominated in, read their story. And if they want to vote for them, they literally just type a message of why that person should win and click submit. And it's as easy as that. Right. Well, I will be going in and having a look on there then. So that sounds great. I've got questions brewing in my mind all about this. <laughs> so you mentioned about you know, not feeling that you had a safe place. How long did it take you to get to a point in your life where you felt kind of you had a safe place? So you'd escape that bullying and almost, you know, and you kind of escape the, you know, lack of safety at home. Do you know what? I don't think it was as quick as what I would like. So I went through all of that at school I went through all of that whilst living at home and it never stopped. When I was living on my own and I got my own little place back in Preston, I used to fear walking down the street after a certain time. I used to fear walking down the street and seeing a group of people and I'd have to cross the road or I'd go on a completely alternative way. Or if I knew that one of the bullies lived at a certain street or whatnot, I would avoid that street. And this is going late into my 20s that I avoided certain paths or certain roads or certain areas or groups of people or whatnot. I think it was only until I'd finally come out. So at 25 years old and I came out and it wasn't to everybody. It was just to close friends at first and I'd come out and that's when I started to feel safe because they didn't care and they still respected me. And there's always the, the <laughs> there's always the thing as well where, you know, you build this, build this up. You're like, I'm going to tell people, I'm going to come out to you, and then you and you do it. And you, you're expecting this whole, like in your head, you're expecting this whole crescendo moment, like there's going to be like a standing ovation for you or whatnot, or there's, it's going to go over the top, but there's not. <laughs> it's literally that I came out and my friend said, "Yeah, I know, it's fine, don't worry," and that was it. And I was like, "Oh, okay," and. Obviously, the the more the the more that I told, uh, or the more people that I told, the easier it got. And I swear, I will always compare it to this. This is my, whenever I talk about coming out um, or whatever, this is the comparison that I will always say. And this is the moment that obviously I would have felt safe when I started coming out. The more I started coming out, it was like I was breathing for the first time. So if you imagine being in high school and growing up and living in that torturous environment, I was holding my breath and it wasn't until 25 years old that I could breathe. And that first breath was like a massive weight had just lifted off my shoulders and I felt safe. I felt that I had friends that weren't going to judge me on who I was or who I liked or whatever. I had friends that it didn't matter. They liked me for being me. They liked me because of the heart that I had. And it was at that point when I could finally breathe, that's when I felt safe. Oh, I'm feeling quite emotional. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, you'll set me off. <laughs> um, so just to really help people that may be coming to terms with their own sexuality or parents that may have children that may be coming to terms with their sexuality at what point were you really kind of sure about it and were you you know did you really come to terms with it um 
for people who may be coming out uh, or thinking about coming out or trying to come to terms with who they are, my way was just to accept it. For me, so my story was that I was out on a night out and there was a guy that I really liked or that I was quite attracted to. And I thought, I really like them and I want to go over and have a conversation. But I, I'm out with my friends and they will then question it. And so therefore that conversation just happened. I never had the conversation of I'm going to sit people down, we're going to talk about it and, and all that lot. And as I said before, like with regards to, to family, I've never been able to really have that coming out story, if you will, with regards to family. But I just, I came out when I was comfortable and, and I knew that I was ready to. There, there, there will always be a point in your life where you think, do you know what, now is the time. And there are people who won't come out to friends or family until they meet the one in inverted commas. Yeah. Because yeah. they they feel like, well, what's the point? I do, they don't need to know about my uh, sex life. They don't need to know what, what I get up to. You know, nobody needs to know until I'm ready to introduce them to my one. And that's fine. If that is what's right for them, that is perfectly fine. Everybody's story will be different and everybody will be ready at different times. There are people who come out at like 14, 15 years old now. And there are yeah. people, for example, Philip Schofield, he's just come out. You know, it, it, people's times are different. There is not a, a one size fits all for, for the coming out story. You've, you'll just know there'll be a point in your life and you'll be ready to breathe. Yeah. In terms of LGBTQIA+, have I got that right? You have, yeah. <laughs> it's a mouthful <laughs> now, isn't it? It is. Do you think it's... I, I know it's important for us to have all the different sort of labels, but do you think that's almost... Is that helpful for somebody that is starting to come to terms with what their sexuality maybe or you know or their gender for example or is that more confusing now you know when people are younger it's such a minefield I, if I rewind went to when I was back at figuring out who I was if I had all of these different labels if you will I would not know and I truly believe that sexuality isn't always just setting stone i do believe that sometimes you know sexuality can be fluid just like gender can be fluid um you know one day you might feel more masculine one day you might feel more feminine you know i can walk down the street and find a woman very very attractive or i could walk down the street and find a, a guy very very attractive um i believe that everything has is on a spectrum but it can be quite fluid i think that the term that i use i say lgbtq plus and I'll continue saying LGBTQ+, and it's not that I'm trying to eradicate the I and A. The reason that I say LGBTQ+, is because a lot of people within the LGBTQ+, community will just identify as queer, which is the Q. So they'll just identify as queer, because the queer then is any part of the LGBTQ+, community. It doesn't necessarily need that specific label. And the amount of people that I will speak to, uh, kids that I'll speak to, teenagers that I'll speak to, adults that I'll speak to, and they'll go, I identify as this. And then a month later, they'll go, well, actually, now I identify as this. And then a month after that, they'll identify as something else. And it's not that they are purposely doing this. It's because they don't know. And we all need to get to a point where we fully know who we are. Yeah. And then that's when we can identify. I, when I first came out, I didn't identify as a gay man or I didn't identify as a bisexual man or a pansexual man or wh whoever. When I came out, I just said, I like men. I like guys. And that was accepted. That was it. And I never identified as anything because I, not that I wanted to feel like, you know, oh, sometimes I might go over there and sometimes I might go over there. It was more the fact that I didn't want to put a label on it because like, it, do, it it's not, it doesn't define me. Yeah. Like being either gay or bisexual or pansexual or lesbian or transgender or whatever it, it, it does not define you and so therefore yeah going back to your question I do feel like 
sometimes it can get confusing. I mean, even for me, and I'm heavily involved within the LGBTQ plus community, heavily involved, like speaking to parents, speaking to children, all that. And sometimes it's hard for me to keep up with everything. So to be in that situation where you're trying to identify as one of them, I think that would be very, very confusing. As I say, there are people who I speak to who keep flitting between them. And it's like, don't identify as anything. You don't need to, right? Just be happy with who you are and people will follow suit. It doesn't matter. And if somebody says to you, are you gay? Right now, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm me. I'm So for me, it's I'm Marcus. I'm nobody else. I'm not this person. I'm not this sexuality or whatever. I'm just Marcus. That's who I am. And in my head, that's enough. And, and it is enough and it should be enough, shouldn't it? Definitely. So what advice would you give to someone that really wants to be an ally? To be an ally, you have to be educated. Not You don't need to be educated as in like you need to know all of the LGBTQ plus history and you need to know this and you need to know facts and figures and statistics and all of that lot. But to be an ally, stand up. Stand up with people. Stand up if you hear something that you just, that you know is wrong. Stand up for what is right. Um, fighting for that equal line, that equality between sexualities. There was a story that I read and it was about a little boy who had gone to school. He was in primary school, nine-year-old boy, gone to primary school. And he has t- uh, two dads who were just about to adopt him. and. The teacher had gone around the class and said, what are we thankful for? And he got to a little boy and he said, I'm thankful for my two dads because they're just about to adopt me and I couldn't be happier. And the teacher, now this is over in a different country where obviously things are a little bit different. And the teacher had said how wrong it was that uh, about two dads and they're being homosexual is wrong. And there were three little girls, three nine-year-old girls who carried on arguing back to the teacher and saying that that was wrong. And then after the class had been dismissed, they'd gone to break time. The three little girls went to the head teacher and told the head teacher what had happened. And now that teacher no longer works there and will never work in that school again. But that is being an ally. It's seeing the wrongdoing and standing up and going, that is wrong. And it's not a case of, be like being part of the army and, and fighting all the wrongs in the world uh, like when it comes to the lgbtq plus you know if you're unsure ask i for one absolutely hate it if somebody i am with so somebody will say something and i might become completely comfortable with it but somebody who is a straight cisgendered female or male may get defensive in my name and it's like i'm okay like but Ask me first. I don't need you to defend me and I don't need you to to do this. So it's a case of stepping up and going, do you know what? I can recognize what's right and what's wrong. I can recognize that this behavior is not right. But it's also a case of connecting with people who identify as LGBTQIA plus and asking them, educating yourself, you know, saying what do, what are your pronouns? What are What are the things that you would like to be called? How should I react if somebody does this? What was your coming out story like? We all have empathy. We all have that level of emotion. So you might not have gone through the the same things as what I've gone through. I've not gone through the same things as what somebody else has gone through. Or if somebody's life had completely mirrored mine, our two feelings are completely different because it's how we process that. The one thing that we can connect with each other on is emotions. So I might be talking about something that I've gone through and I might be feeling hurt, but your situation that you might have gone through will also be hurt. And we connect like that because we recognize what feeling hurt is like. So because we connect with people on on emotions, speak to people out there, speak to people who identify as LGBTQ plus and find out everything, find out their story, find out, the do's, the don'ts, the wrongs, the rights, everything. Because you can connect with people on an emotional level, mm-hmm. regardless of your background. And it's using, and I hate using this term, but this is a term that's thrown around quite a lot recently, but it's using your privilege 
as a cisgendered white female or male or however you identify, but it's your cisgendered privilege. Use that to better the world and to better people out there. So moving on to the next question, let's find out a little bit more about how you switch off to switch on. So how do you pause so that you can perform at your best in your work and home life? So there's two different things that I did. Now, I live a very, very busy life. If I've got a spare hour of my day, I'm probably doing something wrong in my eyes. But that doesn't take away from the fact that I do still need that reset. So it might be that I will take short bursts. So rather than have like a full day of rest or a weekend of rest where I go, oh, I'm going to read a book or I'm going to go away or go on a really long drive. I can't do things like that because of how busy my life is. But what I do is make sure that I've got shorter bursts of things that I can do to help reset. Yeah. And so I don't burn out. And one of the things that I do, I have five dogs. Um, in my house, I have 10 animals. I've got five dogs, three guinea pigs, a tortoise, and a hedgehog. Now, five dogs obviously need a lot of walking. So I use my time of walking with those dogs to help reset. I'll go out on, I could go out on a, a 20 minute walk. I could go out on an hour walk. I could drive somewhere with them and go on a fell walk, which will take me a couple of hours or whatnot. But that is my time out in the open, getting some fresh air away from the house, away from everything. It sounds weird, but like back to nature, if you will, like being surrounded by, and I don't, I, honestly, I don't mean to come across like a hippie, but <laughs> being out in the open, being surrounded by trees and just the fresh air and things like that, it really does something to you. It really does. And so I use that to reset. And the second thing that I do to reset is going back to what my friend said to me uh, many, many, many years ago, back in school, was take it out on the dance floor. And well, that's what I'll do. If I'm feeling some type of way, if I'm feeling in my emotions or in my feelings and I need a bit of a break or a bit of time away or whatever, and I can't, for example, leave the house. Say, for example, it's really raining. Obviously, I don't want to go out in the rain. I'm going to feel worse. <laughs> So what I'll do is I'll put on some music. I'll put on some music. I'll have a dance around the front room. I'll throw my arms up in the air like I just don't care or whatnot. Uh, and that's what I do. So the two things that I would do to help me reset is to go out on a walk or put, just put on some music and really just let loose. Well, I would love to see some of that dancing. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, you talked earlier about your struggles with mental health. When did you kind of flip that on its head and, and turn it into more of positive well-being, would you say? I think the point in which I started turning around was when I became more accepting of who I was. And the, the thing is as well is that I started to realise that I can't control absolutely everything. The, the fear of not being able to control things is very overwhelming, especially when you're going through depression, because there is that control you want to have control of your life or you want to control your emotions, but you can't because these emotions, these feelings, these dark thoughts and everything are just taking hold. And so therefore there is a, the power struggle. Do I take control or is this taking control of me? And I think I came to just realize that I don't have control over everything. And it sounds weird. It sounds quite backwards. Once I let go of control, I had control. And what I mean by that is, once I'd realized, actually, I don't need to control this. I don't need to control me being sad all the time. I don't need to control me being in these feelings and that. It is okay for me to be like this. It's okay for me to feel under the weather. Do you know what? On a Monday, if I feel like a two out of 10, that's what I'm going to feel like. I'm going to embrace it. And I'll do what I can to pick me up. But damn right, on a Tuesday, I'll feel like a nine out of 10. And that is what I will, that's how I will go. I started to learn to let go of that control and just kind of be in that moment. I stopped thinking to myself, I have to get this person to like me or to change their opinion of me because it was out of my control. Once I'd realized that I didn't need control, I started to have control of my own life. And it was the point of starting to volunteer. When I was volunteering, 
whether that be, you know, at the theatre company or wherever, when I was volunteering, I started realising that actually my experiences and my thoughts and my feelings can really help someone else. And I might have been at that point, for example, I may have been on a scale of one to 10, like a five out of 10, but I was seeing people that were a four or a three. And if I could just pick them up a couple, then that meant so much more. And then it made me feel better as well, knowing the fact that I had impact on somebody else's life. And so that just kind of took over. It was the fact that I stopped controlling or trying to control all of these emotions. I stopped trying to control what people thought of me. I then gained control of my own life and I used that control to help others. And you know, it's really interesting because um, I was having a conversation earlier this week and, and and it was around, you know, sometimes what happens when you go through a challenging situation or there's a relationship, a breakdown in relationship, often to try and, you know, repair that relationship, even as children, one of the mechanisms is we we try and take control, mm-hmm. and, which often can kind of result in more conflict. And actually, it's when we start to be able to almost build and repair those relationships that we can that the control goes away and the respect comes back and yeah. and I suppose what I'm trying to say to you in terms of me I'm being very reflective here is that you know that was talking about a child and the relationship with their mother but what I'm kind of getting from what you're saying it was almost like your relationship with yourself yes it was because if you so basically when I was growing up because of the words that people said about me because of how I was made to feel because of and I I say it again it was not bullying it was torturous it was every day it was non-stop there were times where I'd hide in a toilet because I didn't want to go to a specific class. The, there were times where I would eat my lunch in the cubicle toilet because I was scared of going into a school hall. It was a torturous environment. It was not bullying. It was psychotic behavior. That's what I put it down to. Mm. Because of that, now imagine you're being told that you are this, you are that, you are all of these negative connotations of gay, if you will or queer, because of all of these negative connotations towards that, I grew, and again, obviously from home, from the people that were supposed to be bringing me up and showing me the rights and the wrongs of the world and everything. Because of that, I hated myself. And I hated myself more and more and more. The years went on that when I was starting to come to terms with who I was and starting to actually start figuring things out, I hated myself even more. And so therefore that's where this control and the, the the breakdown of relationship with myself came from because I hated myself. I hated the person that I was because I felt as though if I was to accept who I was and my sexuality, I would have proven them right and that they were right all along. And I hated that and I didn't want that. And so therefore I hated and I carried on pushing myself further, further back. This is why it's so damaging when people are trying to out someone else if they are unsure, whether they want to do it in a friendly way or, or whatever. It is so damaging because that person is not ready yet. They are still coming to terms with, with who they are and it will push them further, further back. So as a bit of a side note, if you know someone who is either struggling to come to terms with their sexuality or you might think that you know what their sexuality is, but they just need to admit it, do not pressure them. Do not put it on them and say, oh, but we know that you are, or we know that you that you like this, or what do you think of this, or whatever, because that will do more damage. Even though you might be trying to be a friend and make things easier for them to, to try and come out, you are actually causing more damage. Yeah. So that's just as a, bit, as a bit of a side note there. But yeah, because of everything that I'd gone through, because of the words that were said, I started to hate myself. And obviously mix that with deep depression and suicidal thoughts and everything. You know, it was a very big struggle to try and get out of that. There was a complete breakdown of relationship with myself. Yeah. And you're right. The, the moment that, that, that I started taking control of who I was and of my life, that's when the relationship of me improved. And 
I, you know, there, there's still things that I don't like about me and there's things that we don't like about ourselves. You know, I mean, it's just a natural human thing. You know, my flaws are my flaws and your flaws are your flaws and the listeners' flaws are their, are their flaws and we'll all, we'll all have something that we just don't like. It might be that little wobbly bit on the side or it might be the little toes a little bit bigger, but, you know, people won't see those things because actually it's part of your charm. It's part of who you are. And yeah, I, I got to love who I was. I got to love the person I was. I got to love how fabulous I am. <laughs> and because of that, I embraced it. Like the amount of people that was go, oh, you're, you're really fabulous. Oh yes, I'm fabulous. Like I embraced it. And I was like, you know what? I, it doesn't hurt me. Because I am strong, I am unique, I am fabulous. And I will continue flaunting it everywhere I go. And if somebody says to me, like, anything, any, if they try and be, like, any any form of negativity, negative towards me or my sexuality or whatever, I, like, turn it up by, like, times 100 because that's just how comfortable I am. But, yeah, the breakdown of my relationship of me, that's what, that it, was all, it all came from high school. And it took me a long, long, long time, many years. And as I say, I came out at 25. That doesn't mean that I was happy with myself at 25 years old. It was a good few years after that. And, you know, once I'd taken control, that's when I started loving myself more. And at what point did you um, meet the love of your life and start start growing your dog family? Well, that <laughs> animal <laughs> family. <laughs> So I I met my uh, my husband now my husband nine years ago it'll be ten years in October this year so yeah a long time ago I met my other half and I, I mean it, it's not a love story <laughs> it's not it's not one of those that's for the films or anything it's uh it's one of the I, I was on a night out and he put the plucked up the courage to come over and talk to me. And I told him to go away from me and not speak to me. And it, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't as pleasant as that. <laughs> there were a few extra words put in there. But yeah, it was essentially, I told him to go away and leave me alone. And he'd said, oh, I, there's no need to be like that. I just came over just to see how you are. And I said, well, now you have done. See you later. And he left. And then the, I saw him a week after in a club that I was working behind the bar at. And I saw him come in and I was like, oh, that's him. I feel really bad because of the way that I acted. And I went over, like I, I left the bar, the bar area, went over to him and I said, look, I'm really, really sorry. I was, I'd had a lot to drink. I'm not like that normally. And to say sorry, I'd like to take you out for a drink. And for me, it was, <laughs> for me, it was friends. For me, I was like, I'm doing this as a friend. I've got a new drinking buddy. Like, <laughs> I was not interested in a relationship. I was not interested in relationships with anybody at that point. Obviously, still, I was still trying to come to terms with everything and find my own path in life. And he said yes. And so we planned it for the week after. And the week after I met him on the train station. Now, I was wearing like really... Pretty much what I'm wearing today. A t-shirt, jeans, trainers, that's it, done. Uh, I was making no effort because for me, it was friends. Um, but he got he got off the train wearing a shirt and trousers and shoes. I was like, oh no, I've fallen into a date here. <laughs> <laughs> and we went out for a drink. And actually, as the night went on, I, there was just a, a certain charm. And I was just like, I, I actually quite like you, actually. And I didn't expect it. It came out of nowhere. As I say, I was not looking for anything. I was not expecting a relationship. And especially not from, not from him. I was expecting a drinking friend. But yeah, he he's had this charm. And we've been together ever since. Like That was the night that we officially started talking and officially went out for a drink. And... You know, we we went out for several more drinks after that. And yeah, then we got together and we've been been together ever since. Got married five years ago. Fabulous. Well, it's great to see that there is a happy ending. And, um, you know, you deserve all the happiness in the world, Marcus. Thank you. So any personal tips that you can share with our listeners? So, you know, your personal flourishing formula for life. So, 
you know, what could you share that might just help our listeners to live life to the full? There are three things, um, three little mantras that I have, if you will. The first one is more to do with mental health and how you can approach each day. I start the day every single day. I start the day and I, I think to myself, right, okay, how do I feel on a scale of one to 10? And I will make sure that I'm feeling in the top half. And if I feel like a two, that's fine. I'm going to end the day on an eight. I'm going to end the day five plus. Always play from a 10. You, your aim every single day is to play from a 10 and try and get as high as you can throughout that day. Just so then the, these little things just don't bother you. Like when you stop caring and you start just focusing on yourself, you start being happier and it's easier to play from a 10 then. It's easy to feel 10 out of 10 when you don't care what people think or what people say. If I'm going to walk down the street, I'm going to wear, I've got, I, I, <laughs> I actually went online and I bought myself like a metal crown <laughs> because I thought, oh my God, that's amazing. And if I want to walk down the street and wear my crown, because that's going to make me feel nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10, then that is what I'm going to do. It, whatever you want to do, it does not matter. Yeah. Never seek, never seek approval from people that you don't know or don't care about. If they don't pay your bills, then pay them no mind. Done. Okay. So always make sure that you play from a 10. That's like, a, that, that was like quite a lot of different things like metal, like mel melded into one men. Um, but yeah, don't stop caring what people think because you'll start playing from a 10. You'll start feeling 10 out of 10. Yeah. The, the second thing is a quote that I've actually got tattooed on me. Uh, and this is more to do with the LGBTQ plus community and what we can do to help. And I've, as we were discussing before about being an ally. And it is, uh, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And I absolutely love that quote. I think that we have to stand up. We have to, and I'll say the three things again, this is like my a, a, a mantra that's within a mantra. Uh, so if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. You've got to stand up, you've got to rise up, and you've got to wise up. There you go. Stand up, rise up, wise up. And yeah, stop falling for stuff. If you know something, if you know something's wrong, don't just shy away from it. Don't. Keep shut up. Stand up and say, this is wrong. This We need to stand up against stuff like this because there's been far many, far too many years have gone by where we've just let things slide. We have to show people that they are wrong, that their way of thinking is wrong. Obviously, there's a way of, there's ways and means to do things. I'm not saying, you know, let's start a riot. Um, but, you know, we've, we've, got to, we've got to be able to point out injustices. We've got to point out things that are said that are wrong. And we've got to point out where people fail us. And we've got to point out when people need help as well. Which leads me on to my, uh, my last mantra. And it's something, again, that I do every single day. I stand in front of the mirror and I say, Marcus, today is going to be a good day. And here's why. And then I will finish that sentence. So today I said, Marcus, today is going to be a good day. And here's why. Because you get to share your story with a bunch of people and it may just help one of them. And that is why today is going to be a good day. And I think that having that type of mantra where you tell yourself why today is going to be a good day, I just think it's, it's brilliant. It's perfect. Yes, I would agree with that. And is there anybody, anything, any books, anyone that has inspired you, would you say, along your journey? I think the... the the people who have inspired me are personal to me. There is, for example, my very good friend and life mentor, uh, Kathy, who runs Kids for Kids. She has been such an influence on my life. She's been, for example, uh, and I'm not saying that she is like my mother, but she has been like a mothering figure to me to show me the rights and wrongs and to kind of lay that groundwork for me and all that and build me up when I've needed to and be my guidance. There's like my personal friend, like my personal close friends, uh, Emmy being one of them, who was the person I went to school with, who told me to take it out on the dance floor. She's in my life now. So all of my influences have been close friends of mine. The one thing that I would say to people is keep those types of people, keep the people who build you up, keep the people who have you thinking positive, keep those close because 
they are one in a million. Not everybody will be as positive as they are. And you might think that they are, but do not take them for granted because they're not. Um, if somebody in your life is being a very positive influence on you and a positive role model for you, keep them there because they will influence your life in ways that you can't even imagine. And then the next thing I would say is get out there and volunteer. Vol- voluntary work is is frowned upon, if you will, because they think people think, oh, but it doesn't give me any money. Um, and I need money. Money makes the world go around. And blah, blah, blah. I can't, how can I buy this if I only volunteer? I work five days a week. I also volunteer one day a week. I do my own show one day a week. And I do, I teach dance twice a week. I make time. Get out there, volunteer, find a group, find someone, have a conversation with people. Go to a, or go to a, a, a you know, a care home and, and see if you can do some, some work within there and just find out about people and listen to their story because there are people out there that have got stories to tell. And those stories will influence your life and may influence the decisions that you make in the future. You know, we've all got stories to tell and share yours. That's my other advice. Share your story. Don't keep it to yourself because your story could help someone. And if anyone wants to know more about the work that you do, how do they get in touch with you, Marcus? So you can head over to my actual website, uh, which it has direct links to me. It has my number, has my email address, has my social media links, absolutely everything. And that is at www.spillit, that's S-P-I-L-L-I-T dot U-K. There is no co, it's just UK. So that's www.spillit.uk. And you can also contact me via email at marcus at spillit.uk. Brilliant. And I'm not letting you go until you laugh because... (laughs) Uh, All you have to do is say it. (laughs) You've just got the best laugh. Thank you you so Um. much. Um, for no being here today I've absolutely loved it and thank you for sharing your stories so vulnerably and also for helping to educate people with you know, knowledge around LGBTQ plus no problem yeah thank you thank you thank you so much for having me thank you for listening to the human reboot podcast I'm Emma Last And if you've enjoyed this episode, please leave me a five-star podcast review and visit thehumanrebootmovement.com where you can find downloadable free resources, sign up to my mailing list or connect with me on social. So that's thehumanrebootmovement.com. Let's switch off so we can switch on. It's time for your human reboot.